We wanted to tell diverse stories to show entrepreneurs that we look all different kinds of ways. We come to this moment in time in our businesses in all different types of ways. You know, we have unique stories underneath that. So we cast a very wide net to talk about what it really is to be an entrepreneur. Welcome to Ecosystems for Change, where we co-author the playbook on transforming communities by amplifying the impact of changemakers around us. Whether you are an entrepreneur or otherwise changemaker yourself, a citizen who loves their community with a passion and wants to see it thrive, whether you are a mentor, investor, support organization, advisor, philanthropic funder, economic developer, or policymaker, Learn the practical tools and proven tactics of ecosystem builders from all around the world to better support the dreamers, doers, tinkerers, and makers in your community by taking a systems approach to social change. I'm your host, Annika Horn. I've been in awe of today's guest, Natalie Hodge, since I first learned about her show, Hometown Hustle. As of summer 2023, the show's in its second season telling the stories of entrepreneurs building their big business ideas in the small towns of rural America. Natalie herself lives and works in Martinsville, Virginia, about two and a half hours south from where I'm recording this podcast. Let's go meet her and find out about how she changes the narrative about rural entrepreneurship and how you can get in on the action. Meet Natalie. Natalie. Welcome to the show. It is so nice after I had a chance to meet you in person to talk to you on the show and talk to you about storytelling. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Wonderful. Natalie, if we were to come to your community for the first time, where would you take us? Well, we'd start at RGM Studios, which is the home of Rudy Scroll Media. It's in Uptown Martinsville. And First, we take in the smell of meat grilling outside because there's a great bar and restaurant uh, across the street that um, they smoke their meat. And so you get that good whiff of meat cooking. And then we'd moseyed down the way and we'd hit Made in Martinsville, which is this cool shop that has local gifts and features a lot of area artisans and um, it's really a, a unique space that opened and was funded by um, a community business launch grant sponsored by um, Virginia Main Street. And so um, we'd enjoy that and we'd head over to the ground floor for a cup of chai and maybe um, an organic bowl of quinoa and a salad. It's this really unique space a gathering space where there's delicious food. And people often, when they go to the ground floor, talk about how it feels like you're somewhere else. And everybody's big com comparison is New York City. So we'd stop there and then we'd head over to the TAD space. It's a co-working and event space that's a few doors down from the ground floor and across the street. And we'd head to Uptown Pinball, it's an arcade that's a few doors down from Taspace. So there are all of these wonderful places, small business owners who have seen needs in the community and who have answered the call and opened up these cool spots. Fantastic. I had no idea Martinsville had any of this going on. Thank you so much for the tour. Okay, before we dive in, I told you before we have this interview, I'm going to call you Rudy's because your company is actually called Rudy's Girl Media. 
fill us in what the name is and where it came from. So Rudy's Girl Media came from a combination of my parents' names. My father's name was Rufus and my mother's name is Judy. And so I combined those two names. I'm their girl and it is my media company. And I love that as a way of always honoring them in this experience because they had such an impact and continue to have such an impact. Even as my father has transitioned, every single day there's something that comes up that's a lesson from him um, because he was an entrepreneur and I learned from him by being in his space and spending time with him. And my mom is super fan if you go to any of the social media, she has shared everything about 50 times. So she's your hype girl. I she is. I remember you telling a really cool story about your dad when you were on the Silver Rise Collaborative podcast with our good friends, Lauren Mathina and Jacob Dolan. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes for everyone who wants to hear a little bit more about the backstory of how you got into film, how you got into making the show that you're currently making and everything that you learned along the way. So I recommend everybody go check that out. Um, where we are today is that you are producing a really cool show called Hometown Hustle, telling the stories of entrepreneurs in your neck of Virginia, which I love and would love to hear at the time of this recording, we are in season two. Yes. What is one of your favorite stories? And I know this is like picking your favorite child, but <laughs> I know this is so tough. I was I was prepared for this question. Usually I say I cannot pick a favorite, but for the purposes of this uh, show, I will share Felicia Scheller. Uh, she owns a couple of stores, actually, in Meadows of Dan, and she owns Poor Farmers Market, which is this beautiful um, country store with all sorts of goodies all over the place in the store. I mean, you could spend so much money in the store, and I did. And why I love her as an entrepreneur is that she had very, very humble beginnings. She was a young mother who, as a side business, a way to earn a little extra cash, started selling produce on the side of the highway right by the entrance to the Blue Ridge Parkway, which is where her her current store is located. And that business organically began to grow. And she is such a staple in that community. She has a huge following on social media. And it's people who have come to her store heading onto the parkway. They'll stop and, and grab a bite to eat or grab some um, locally produced uh, jams or some produce and head onto the parkway. And she is such an amazing woman. And she grew her business from that very humble side of the road produce stand into two spaces. One that she recently rehabbed with her family because it had gone into disarray. And she, so she, she does it all. And I just love her story. And she's incorporated all of these wonderful people, including her family in this business. And her grandkids are there now helping with the business. So it's a generational story. It's fantastic. Oh, just listening to it. I want to go watch it. Thank you, Natalie. Um, talk to us more about Hometown Hustle. What kind of stories do you look for? What kind of stories do you enjoy telling? Do you find the stories? Do the stories find you? Give us the scaffolding of the show. So this kind of started from the pilot season, which was just Martinsville Henry County stories. And we just did uh, six 10-minute episodes that were snapshots. 
And from the energy of that first season, um, we were able to expand the footprint across Southern Virginia. And how we connected with stories is that we wanted to tell diverse stories, different types of businesses, different types of business owners. We wanted to touch things that were traditionally housed in our communities, so something with agriculture. We wanted to talk to transplants to the community. We wanted to talk to family-owned businesses to show entrepreneurs that we look all different kinds of ways. We come to this moment in time in our businesses in all different types of ways. And, you know, we have unique stories underneath that. So we cast a very wide net and we reached out to people on social media. We reached out to chambers of commerce and economic development folks to help us find individuals and um, entities that would be excited to share their story. We also wanted to make sure that everyone had a positive outlook on the community. So we actually went into social media pages just to see they're, they're uplifting the communities that they're in because this show is about how we positively contribute to the economy. And from there, I would say all the people who filled out the application had something interesting to share. Some of them reached out because they knew about Hometown Hustle and wanted to be on the show. And some we courted through having recommendations from different folks in the community. And we've reached out to them to say, you know, folks really want to hear your story. Would you be open to sharing it? And the final selection was really about who will be transparent, who will be positive, who will allow us into the nooks and crannies, the vulnerable spaces of their business to talk about what it really is to be an entrepreneur. You already touched on some of what I want to ask next, which is a question, how do you tell a good story? So obviously there's a certain selection process going on before you even tell someone's story. But then when you meet someone who has an interesting story, is there a step-by-step -step guide on this is what makes an interesting story? We got to make sure we hit all these steps or is it an organic development? How do you make sure you take people on a journey and, and arrive at a certain point at the end of the story? We have some guidelines with this. We have some questions that we always want to ask. Like every episode, whether we feature this in the episode or not, I always ask the question, what's your highest high and your lowest low? Because I want people who access the series to get that as an entrepreneur, you're operating from both ends of the spectrum. You're crying yourself to sleep at night. You're also operating in complete joy and bliss at moments because you are in your purpose. So there are all of those things. And I want the episodes to share those moments. I want people to understand that when you shop small, it means something. Every dollar means something. It means a job. It means the ability to have a brick and mortar space. It's a utility bill. It's new inventory and equipment. All of those things are accounted for and it's important. So when you are able to develop a personal relationship through the show with these entrepreneurs, mission accomplished. So when I go in, I might have these series of questions that I ask, but my job as a host is to 
get intimately involved, to make the entrepreneurs feel absolutely comfortable in sharing their stories with me. And then by way of that, they share their stories with the world. I love that. Another question I have for you is, you already mentioned you're looking for people who have a positive outlook. You want the show to be about the positive outcome of shopping local and supporting local economies. When you go into a season, do you have in mind what kind of narrative you want to tell? Or do you do the stories first and then step back to see what that greater narrative is that all of these individual stories made up? The first season, the narrative was about how small businesses survived COVID. So that question was deeply embedded in the process. In every episode, there's some conversation about surviving COVID and coming out on the other side. What are the next steps now that we're out of the pandemic? This season, while we touched on the impact of the pandemic, it was more about a more organic flow to it. And we started to see themes as we emerged out of the season, um, but there wasn't a plan for season two. And I don't know that there will be a plan for future seasons unless there's something that we all experience as a community that we can kind of tie in. Hopefully not another pandemic. And that's why I didn't say it. <laughs> that's for sure. Amen. Um, Natalie, talk to us a little bit more about the different formats that your show has taken, can take, might take in the future. What are you looking at when you produce the episode? Is it one entrepreneur per episode for 23 and a half minutes? Or what? how do you think about packaging those different stories? So our format evolved this season. So the first season, it was one entrepreneur, about 10 minutes per episode and six episodes. And the feedback that we received from platforms other than YouTube was that they wanted to see it in TV-ready formula, which is about 22-ish minutes um, to build in time for uh, commercials and to make the pace kind of in line with attention span, we doubled up. And so we have two stories that we toggle between on each episode. And that makes it really interesting because you're in one community, but you bounce from entrepreneur to entrepreneur. We love that formula and I feel that we'll continue to do that. We also had a hyper-focus on creating promos that took one tiny slice of each story and put that out to share just a little teaser about what the episode will be. And we have tons of promos, behind the scenes footage. We wanted to cater to where people are now in social media, which is consuming this very quick, fun, funny, interesting content that then drives them to the show. So you'll see a promo and say, oh wow, this is great seeing her milk a goat, which happens. And then, you'll be interested to watch the show, or you might just enjoy the promos. Either way, you still get exposed to the content and you still get exposed to those entrepreneurs. And that's the goal. Perfect. So I'm hearing YouTube, social media. Are there any other channels that you've considered using to get the word out, to share the content? You know, we always talk about multi-channel, this and that. 
How does that work when you have such a high quality video online product? How do you get the word out? So, uh, will you tell me? <laughs> <laughs> I have been in my own hometown hustle of trying to connect this piece to other platforms because we have a very limited marketing reach with just our small independent production space. And so we're pounding the pavement, the online pavement, to draw people into this product. I will tell you when I first developed the show where I wanted it to be, and that was CNBC. I feel like that is a space where people go to connect to business content, but there's nothing like this there um, because this is very much focused on rural entrepreneurship and their content is very much urban. And so um, I would like for the rest of the world who enjoys that type of storytelling to see our show on a platform like that. All right, everybody's listening, uh, whose spouse, uncle, neighborhood friend, I don't know, whoever they went to school with who works at CNBC, uh, put in a plug for Hometown Hustle and Natalie Hodge so we can get the word out about her great work and put her on a national stage. Let's see what we can do. You never know. That's right. Hey, I don't want to distract you from this awesome conversation, but I do want to let you know that I curate a fortnightly newsletter with resources, events, and behind-the-scenes insights into the show. I would love to pop into your inbox every two weeks to hand-deliver those goodies. Sign up through the link in the show notes. And now, back to the show. Obviously, shooting a TV show is not a one-woman show. I know you have a team that helps you make the magic happen. I know how much work goes into storytelling that people who only see the end product can't even fathom. How do you make the numbers work? How is a show like this financed? And if anyone listening wants to bring Natalie and Hometown Hustle to their community, what should they put in the budget? How do you, th how do you communicate those numbers? So uh, thank you for acknowledging that this is quite a feat to put this together. Labor of love, absolutely intense. The most intense experience that I have had in this field, uh, creating this project. So what I budgeted for this project when we first started shopping season two was $300,000. And that was to cover all of the professional team expenses, equipment, insurance, travel, um, we wanted to have a marketing budget in this, which we didn't have ultimately. And people were shocked by that price point because in the communities that we were touching, um, while they acknowledged that digital content is very important, everyone saw the value of the show. It was sticker shock, not having ever experienced someone saying, $300,000 for, for the budget. Now, we weren't asking any one community to fit that bill, but certainly um, we were fundraising uh, with the economic development teams in all the communities and uh, the corporations in those communities who might be wanting to attract talent and they need great representation and great digital content to point folks who are exploring that community to. So we felt like this would be a great shared cost. Uh, certainly, if someone wanted to pay the whole fare, that's great. 
we did it for much, much, much less. And the result of that is many, many gray hairs, which I hope aren't showing up on the screen because <laughs> I had to wear so many hats. So you will notice in the episode or episodes, I have done my own hair and makeup. When I'm out in the community milking goats or operating heavy equipment, that's challenging for this, this hair. So sometimes it was all over the place. I got my wardrobe from Marshalls. I mean, we love it. Uh, but you know, I'm my own stylist in this. I'm repurposing things. In most of the episodes, um, the business owners would give me a shirt with their branding on it so that that branding could be seen throughout the episode. So that helped me out a lot <laughs> so I could wear different things. So it was very bare bones. We all traveled to these communities in a van. And I'm in the back of the van with snacks on one side, with equipment behind me. I'm crunched in. I'm on my laptop. I'm communicating with our associate producer who was back in front of her computer, reaching out to folks, scheduling things. Sometimes we'd film a segment, and as soon as we cut, I'm on the phone arranging the next thing. So it was craziness. It was craziness. And then the team had to go back and the post-production process was much longer than typically would have been because our budget was so tiny. And so we know all of the little nuances in the project that we would love to be different. Little, little blemishes, if you will, that should we have had a, a larger budget could have been massaged out. But, you know, I love the series so much and what we were able to accomplish. It was quite a mission impossible, I would say, with what we had, but we're all super pleased at the outcome. As you should be, 100%. You already touched on this a little bit, but how might we think about fundraising for a season with about 10 episodes, right? Who else comes on board? You said corporates yes. want to showcase their community and use it for talent attraction and retention, which is great. You said economic developers who hopefully have a big interest in nurturing entrepreneurship and, and sort of promoting their community as a great place to live, work, and play. Who else might come on board? How do you raise the funds to make this come a reality? Well, one thing, when we started season two, uh, one of our fundraising themes was small businesses and large businesses working in cooperation. Some large businesses, some, some corporate entities were not yet, I guess, cognizant of how important it is for small business and entrepreneurship to thrive because they think of it And sometimes it's, it's competitive. If we have all of these small businesses, then I don't have people to work in my corporation. However, most of us who own a small business are actually working somewhere, somewhere else as well. And we value that job and those benefits to the highest. We're still a part of that economy too. The other element of this, when we're thinking in relationship to Companies trying to recruit talent from outside the community. 
and they're running into other content, what are they looking at? Are they looking at crimes that have happened and it's a big news story that gets a lot of shares and views? Or are they looking at something that is positive, feel good, inspiring, that shows the landscape of the community, that highlights some goods and services that one would be able to access if they move to the community. And so that's very much ingrained in this. So it makes a great opportunity for larger businesses to say, we want to support this because we see the bigger picture of what it will bring to our community. And so we had uh, Herkel Furnishings, which is located and uh, headquartered in Martinsville. They're one of our sponsors for the season. The Lester Group, also a large um, company that's headquartered in Martinsville. They're sponsors for the season. So that was really great that we did have partners get that right away and say, this is valuable and exciting. So that would be our season three area of opportunity as well, um, as well as companies and individuals who are invested in entrepreneurship, which could be, you know, into it. They have several programs that small business owners utilize. Um, folks who might have a point of sales business that small business owners would utilize. Tech companies that are courting small businesses for accounts for cell phones or, um, internet service. So those are the types of um, entities that definitely should be invested in Hometown Hustle. Okay, so what I'm hearing is sort of two groups, two camps. Number one, those who are deeply invested in entrepreneurship and want to see small business thrive. Number two, any organizational individual who wants other outsiders to fall in love with this community. Exactly. Exactly. It's marketing without marketing. Yes. It's like content marketing on a whole different level. We want to show you all the good things right. about this community and that community and why you might enjoy living here. That's actually really a public service you're doing. I will, I will take my public service award for this. I think you should. Um, switching gears here a little bit. I know nothing about video, film, TV, series, productions whatsoever. Are there any trends? Is there anything you're seeing that you're worried about, that you're excited about, that you think could sort of point us in the future of visual storytelling or video storytelling? What I'm excited about is that the world of storytelling has opened up to everyone. It is a free-for-all now. Anyone with a phone can be a part of this magic. I know that's super challenging for people who are in the traditional space because at one point, in order to get something distributed, you had to be connected to a studio. Like there was no other way to get a film project out there. And now there's all sorts of platforms that you can put it on immediately. You can film something live and monetize that and that can be your income. Now, this is not as easy as it sounds because a lot of folks get excited about the prospect of it and don't know the work that has to happen to really drive traffic consistently to a space where you can monetize it. But I love the fact that the door is open and it's accessible to people because that allows for there to be a diverse range of representation communities of color, 
um, well, any community really outside of traditional Hollywood did not have representation. And now with our phones, you know, with our iPads, with, with all sorts of other devices that anyone can get, you can rent equipment from public libraries in some places. Those things open the door for us all to have our faces and our stories out there. That's cool. I think so too, you know, for the, for the few people who aren't represented in Hollywood, just, just a mere millions. There are other ways really to tell their own story, right? I think it's so important, not just what stories do we tell, but who tells these stories? Because there's so much curation that goes into selecting what story deserves to be told. Right. And how should it be told? Right. So, yes, I feel like we could have a whole nother conversation just around that. It could go on and on. <laughs> Natalie, I think you already sort of steered us in that direction, but what is one piece of advice you have for the next ecosystem builder you meet who says, Natalie, I love what you're doing. How can I become a better storyteller for my community? I have no training in this. Where do I start? Connect with your local community college. There's likely someone in that space who has some level of training in media production that can offer a crash course on how to do this at a base level and encourage community members who have that interest to take that course. If it's offering a workshop for free that allows for people to connect to that training, all the better. Uh, just get people in a space where they're able to create great content. So yes, hire Rudy's Girl Media to come and do your storytelling if your budget permits. However, if it does not, don't allow that to stop you from getting into the space. Cisco had this incredible uh, statistic for 2022, which was that something like 82 or 83 percent of the content consumed on the internet would be video content in 2022. I know that statistic has only increased. So this is where people are spending time and energy. Make sure that you have a good content out there that tells your story, because if they bump into your website, if they bump into the, your social platform, they're going to be attracted to a video over a picture and a picture over a static post. So you just, you want to layer that and you need to have some video content. You don't have to break the bank doing it, but if you are excited to break the bank, break the bank with me. And, you know, break the bank with, within reason. Yes, I mean, sure. It, it, is, it is still telling the story of your community is such a huge, ambitious endeavor that I think, as you said, it's a labor of love. And how do you put a price ticket on that? And then it's not just your labor of love, but all the people you, all the people you bring along, your entire team. Right. Plus the time you spend on the road and in hotels and then the time spent on post-production. So needless to say, I think it's worth it. Thank you. Before we move into the rapid fire round here, I want our listeners to know that they can connect with you at Rudy's Girl Media and also find you on social media as Natalie K. Hodge and Rudy's Girl Media. As always, I'm going to put all these links into the show notes. So you guys listening can go down all the rabbit holes and start binge watching Hometown Hustle TV right now. 
once we finish this episode. Um, the final three questions. Are you ready, Natalie? I think so. All right. Number one, storytelling is? Giving life. It's giving life to the people who fall outside of the lines of what we see as normal and what we see as our cultural connection as um, citizens of, of this community. We miss people because they don't always look like what we've seen and we need to give them life through storytelling. It paints a fuller picture of our community if we tell the stories of different people from different angle in different format. Who is a storyteller? This could be a person or an organization that you like that everybody else should know about. Herbert Brown. He owns Browntown Farms. He is in the Brunswick episode. And I discovered through working with him that he has an interest in video production. He has a really cool Browntown Farms Instagram space. I loved sitting with him because he's talking not only about this farm that has been in his family for five generations, but he talks about the relationship that we need to have with our food producers. You need to know where your food comes from. And if it comes from Browntown Farms, it's delicious. So there's that. But I, I just love hearing from him. I love reading his posts. He's amazing. All right, we will all go check it out and fan over Browntown Farms. It's also a really cool name. Um, lastly, what is one resource that influenced you so much that you would recommend to other storytellers? I recently read a book called The Obstacle is the Way. It is so amazing because it tells the story of, or stories of different folks throughout history who had extreme challenges and setbacks, and they utilize those experiences to propel them forward. They actually may have constructed a business model based on whatever challenge. They invented things based on that challenge. Um, they overcame incredible challenging circumstances using the challenge as a benefit. And so when I read this book, I said, wow, this is the story of Hometown Hustle and Rudy's Girl Media. Every day there's something that comes our way that we have to overcome. And those challenges have created this great, I think, intimacy in our storytelling because we're operating right alongside the entrepreneurs that we feature in sharing our authentic challenges doing the work. And so um, for much of the series, I was teary-eyed because I know what it is, because my obstacle is my way as well. What a great note to end on. Natalie, thank you so much for making the time. Thank you for taking us behind the scenes of Hometown Hustle. I can't wait to have you back on the show and find out what season five and six and 10 and 15 will be about. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Find out more about Natalie at therudysgirl.com and nataliehodge.com. You can watch Hometown Hustle at hometownhustle.tv. 
A heartfelt thank you to my partners at Ecomap Technologies for making this season possible. Head over to ecomap.tech to learn more about how they use modern technology to make ecosystem information more accessible. I pay my respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, the Monacan, Shawanda Satula, and Monahawk people. I recognize their continuing connection to land, water, and community. I pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. This episode was produced by Yellow House Media. 